0: All right, good evening. The last evening studying about Jonah. Let's do a little bit of a review, first of all. So, last night we talked about Jonah and the, the belly of the great fish. We talked about um, some of the things that Jonah was acknowledging there in his prayer about God's sovereignty while God had him sitting in the corner to think about it in the belly of this big fish. Um, And we also talked about the consequences of Jonah's action. He had, uh, there were mostly good good consequences actually in the long run this story, um, but also some bad ones and they didn't affect just himself. Our actions produce consequences for others almost always. We had some good discussions afterwards too, and one of the someone mentioned that the Bible. How many? How many people were in Nineveh? How many people were there? One. Yeah, the Bible says I think six score. Six. How does it say it? Thousand. Six score thousand. Yeah, which is one hundred twenty thousand. But it says that cannot discern between the right and the left hand. I always saw that as being. Um, just people who were ignorant, who didn't know what they were doing. Um, but some people apparently think that that meant children. That meant younger people that didn't know anything. So it could be that there was a bunch more people in Nineveh. We're not sure. I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's any definitive answer. But interesting nonetheless. Um, Nineveh was huge. We do know that. and We'll get into that. But. So let's read the passage. Chapter 3 and 4. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For, the word, for word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before thee unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted, and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither hast madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six or thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? All right. There's a lot going on here in these chapters. And also, I don't know if you noticed, but the, it ends in a question. It's the only book in the Bible that ends in a question. It's an interesting tidbit as well. But this third section starts with um, God pretty much repeating what he had said in the first in the first chapter and verse, and verse 2. pretty much repeats the same thing. And uh, this time Jonah at least obeyed. This time Jonah goes and does what God says. He goes to Nineveh. And, well, this was after, yeah, this was after fish vomited him out. I actually wanted to talk about that a little bit. What do you think Jonah looked like? It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of interesting to actually kind of put yourself in the in the story and, and kind of think about how that must have been maybe he did have time to change his clothes i don't know what the journey was like from nineveh and nineveh is right by a river but it does seem it almost seems like he did have to travel to nineveh he wasn't right there by nineveh so i don't know but if you take together uh, you know Jonah. Being vomited out with a whole bunch of other, you know, what out, who knows what out of the fish's belly, and then, you know, toss about the seaweed and all that stuff, and then with the hot sun and everything, he must have been a sight to behold. But anyway, he journeys into the city a day, it says, and if you remember what it says right there, Nineveh is an exceeding great city of three days' journey, about three days' journey. Uh, I guess it doesn't say here, but in ESV it says breadth. So I'm guessing it was like, maybe that was the diameter of the city and it could be that sort of like our, I I doubt that was all, all a wall all around it. It could have been, you know, little towns or rural areas out around. It could have been much more than, you know, a city with walls, we don't really know. But, so he journeys about to the middle of this city, Nineveh, and he starts to give his message. 40 days and this city will be overthrown and I again I had to think about how this must have been how it must have looked for Jonah to do this and it reminded me of um, preachers that you often see in El Salvador I don't know if I guess people do that some here as well but it's very common in El Salvador some of the churches practices where they'll send people and they'll take their little microphone. Men and women do this. You'll see them in the market and sometimes even in the buses where you take, you know, still stand in front, but you'll see, um, in the market usually you'll see someone with like a microphone and their little bucket or or even just walking through the market and they'll be there blaring out their message to whoever will listen. And I kind of imagine Jonah maybe doing something like that with um, with his message that he's taking to the people of Nineveh. Maybe with a little step stool or whatever. I don't know how it, was, how it must have been, but it must have been really interesting to see this prophet, especially you know, considering that he might, not have been, might have not looked the greatest. But anyway, he has his message, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And I don't know if Jonah was, from what we see here, he was hoping this would happen. But just like that, we talked about this before, just like that, this huge city starts to actually take seriously what Jonah is saying. And it could be, like we talked about, it could be that news of what happened to Jonah reached Nineveh. And they, because of that, they believed um, Jonah and his disobedience might have helped them to repent. might have played a role in that, but we don't really know. But I want to look at what happens here in chapter 3. It says um, in verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth. And it says they believed God, even though maybe it just doesn't record everything here that Jonah said. It's probable, but I thought it was interesting that it mentions here, Jonah says, In forty days the city will be overthrown, but then they believed God. It doesn't say anywhere that he preached anything about God. Maybe he did. Maybe that was part of his message. But I thought it was interesting that they believed God. And you start to see the people um, not seeing God as a third person anymore. The sailors saw God as, you know, well, maybe your God can help us. Maybe we'll pray to your God and maybe something will help what will happen to save us. But here it says they believed God. And later on it talks about you know, they cry mightily unto God, just God. They had changed their way of thinking, and they were treating God as their God. There it says they believed God, and then the first thing they did is they, they called for a fast, so the people did. They pro- proclaimed a fast. And this was one of several ways that they were showing their repentance. They were basically mortifying them, their bodies, going without food. Because of their... Their repentance, and this is the second time that pagans believed God. The first was the sailors, and then the second thing that they did was they put on sackcloth. Does anyone know what sackcloth is? No one? Any ideas? You young boys back there, what do you think sackcloth is? I guess some are too young anymore of it compared to me. You are. What's that cloth? Maybe like um, uh, like bags of feed. Like, you would, you know, yeah, like a sack, right? Like a, sack, right? Meat like meat a feed meat. sack, maybe. Well, that's what I thought too, but I looked it up, and it, there are some people that think it might be sort of like a coarse material of some kind, but um, according to what what I was reading, um. It probably actually was made of some sort of hair, like goat or camel hair or something like that. And I don't know, any of you men, if you've ever had to wear a shirt that you wore when you got a haircut or something like that. But I imagine that's what it might have felt like. And this was another way. You know, the fast was mortifying their flesh. Um, It was their repentance. They were showing to God their repentance. this was another way of mortifying their flesh. And this is just what I kind of gather from this. Maybe it wasn't that but that's what I got a shirt or some sort of clothing made of hair which is not very comfortable they were identifying themselves they were basically saying we we are wrong they were showing to God their their worthiness of death they were making themselves you know as low as they could acknowledging that they did it that they deserved punishment but then, when the word came to king of Nineveh, verse 6, it says he arose from his throne, so he, he leaves his throne and sits in ashes, it says. He didn't, he didn't, well, I think it's pretty obvious, you can't sit in ashes on your throne unless you put ashes in your throne, maybe. But he leaves his dignity, his position, his royalty. Um, that's his way of mortifying himself. Well, so he leaves his throne and he goes and covers himself with sackcloth and sits in ashes as well so the ashes is something additional as well or dirt or whatever he mortifies himself humbles himself in that way but then he doesn't just stop there and the king takes it another step further then he says that by a decree of the king and nobles that not just men but all the animals as well need to fast, and not just fast from food, but not drink anything either. So he takes it a step further. And then he says and cry mightily unto God. I don't know. It just it seems like these people are so convinced that they're doing everything in their power, everything possible to try to sway God, like it says there in verse nine, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? They saw their destruction in forty days. they saw that they were wrong, and so they were doing everything possible here to try to to save themselves from the punishment that they deserved. They acknowledged that they deserved the punishment, but they were doing everything that they possibly could. And these were also, as we saw, at verse 10, God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. This was not something that they were just doing outwardly as a show to God that, you know, we are changing. But this was actually a change of heart that these people made. The interesting thing is, what, what did they repent of? What, did, what were they told to repent of? What did the king tell them to turn from? Two things. Evil way and violence. Evil way and violence. What were the Assyrians known for? They were known for their violence. They were known for putting people on stakes and for glorifying violence and brutality. And so I thought it was interesting. That's, that's one of the things they were told to repent of. That's one of the things they did repent of is their violence. They prided themselves on all the ways that they could hurt and you know, put down their enemies. But this is something they knew they had to repent of, and they did. You can see there by God's response that this was something that was genuine. This was not a show that they were putting on. So, great! I mean, you have this huge town, city, 120,000 people, or maybe much more. Um, They're repenting. They're they're being saved. Hallelujah! You know, this is great. But what what does Jonah say here? You would think, right? that Jonah would be happy. But as we talked about, these were Israel's enemies. And Jonah took it upon himself to um, make sure that he didn't want these people to be saved because they were Israel's enemies, they were his enemies. So he was taking it upon himself to make sure they get destroyed. He didn't want them to be saved. So it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And the word exceeding is used several times here. Jonah is exceeding glad for the gourd, and it was an exceeding great city. It's also the word that it uses when the sailors were exceedingly afraid. We talked about how how afraid these men were. They were throwing their gold bars and their stuff overboard because they were exceedingly afraid. And then here's Jonah exceedingly angry. Well, it says it displeased him exceedingly. So Jonah was very upset. God, this is why I didn't go because I knew you would save these people. And I can about, yeah, Jonah's about out of his mind here. He's, I knew this would happen. These are our enemies, God. Don't you get it? Th- these people have done horrible things, and that, and yet you're you're listening to them. It's like, um, like when um, sometimes when siblings fight, you try to get. You try to get mom and dad on your side, you know, and you, like, you try to get mom and dad to see, you know, this, this person did, did this, and it wasn't my fault, it was their fault, and, and, you know, mom or dad, you need to see that, I mean, can't you see what they did? They, they need to be, they need to have a punishment of some kind. This is sort of what Jonah was doing. And especially, I think, you can maybe understand a little bit more if you take into account what the law, what did the law say? What did the law say? If someone if someone did something, what were you supposed to do? What does it say? An eye for an eye? A tooth for a tooth? This was this was God's law, by the way. This was not something that they had come up with, even. So Jonah, I guess, is justified according to what the law said. These people did horrible things, they should have horrible things done to them. They should not have the chance to just oh, sit in some ashes and sack, wear sackcloth and then have it all be forgiven. To Jonah, this was a just, this was so, so, so dumb. This was so backwards. And here's Jonah, you know, serving God his whole life, and he's a prophet, and then, and then these people that have never served God, that have done so much evil... Just get a free pass. I think it's sort of like the prodigal story of the prodigal son in a way. And Jonah is not just upset. It actually is, he says it two times that it's better for me to die than to have these people be saved. Verse 3. Jonah is explaining to God, This is why I fled. Therefore, or because of this, I beg you, take my life. It's not worth living anymore. These awful people are going to get saved. You're going to have mercy on these people after all they did. It's not worth it for me to live anymore. He was so fed up with it. I just think it's, it's very interesting, Jonah's um, attitude here. He is really, yeah. He's really taking it. He, he's really taking it to heart here, and just beside himself with what God is doing here. When, from our perspective, we can see that you know God has mercy. God is a merciful God. But that was not what what Jonah was all about. Jonah, Jonah was all about getting what you deserve. Anyway, so Jonah. Um, I'm not sure what happened if he got over it for a little bit or whatever. But it says in verse 5, Then he went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a little maybe a tent or a little shelter, I'm not sure. And sat under it, and then to see what would become of the city. I'm not sure how, how much later this was, if it was close to the 40 days, where he was still hoping that maybe God does something, maybe God will, will realize how just how insane it is to, to forgive all these people. But anyway, he gets his, his popcorn, so to speak, and he sits there hoping that something will happen. And so God prepares this gourd or vine and makes it give some shade to Jonah. And, oh, well, things are finally going my way, Jonah says. So it says there, Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd after he was exceedingly displeased. So things are finally going Jonah's way, but you can really see the selfishness here. He's exceedingly displeased that these 120,000 people at least are getting saved. And then he's glad just for himself because this gourd came up and gave him (coughs) some shade. doesn't matter that all these people are going to die, at least I have some shade. That's basically what Jonah was saying. But then the worm comes. And Jonah's going through a real roller coaster here. The next day, God prepares a worm and it ate the, or it says, smote the gourd or ate the root or whatever, so that it withered. And then God, it says, God prepared an east wind, a vehement east wind, and a hot Wind with the sun beating on him, that he fainted, or that he, um, I guess, yeah, was getting, was getting faint, was getting hot. And again, he says, "It is better for me to die." Things just, things just are not going like they should be. Things are all backwards. And then Jonah and, and God talks to Jonah again, you know, and he reminds him of his selfishness. Why were you so happy about this gourd that it gave you shade, and, and then you were so mad when it died, but you were anxious for all these people to suffer and die, these people who, had, who didn't have exposure to, to what God says. And he ends with the question in verse 11, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city? That cannot discern between their right and their left hand and also much cattle. So did Jonah learn his lesson? I don't know. We don't really know what happened next. I wish we could know a little bit more what happened with this story. I would love to know what happened next. Did Jonah learn from this lesson of the gourd? Or did he die a bitter man? Did he go to his grave just talking about how unfair life was, how unfair life is. And how long did this repentance last for Nineveh? Was, did this last? Or was it a couple of days? Or after the 40 days, wherever they saw their worm was destroyed, that they went back to their ways? We don't know. We do know that Nineveh was eventually destroyed. I'm not sure exactly how many years later it was. But yeah, we, the Bible doesn't say... We don't know what happened after this. But I did want to just talk a little bit about, what about us? What about our lives? What about murderers, rapists, torturers, people right now that do evil things? Why is it fair for someone to kill someone or to someone to mistreat someone and then repent and have everything forgiven? And this is harder to do than what you think. And we can look at this story and say that, you know, Jonah was very wrong to, to wish that these people would die. But I, ha- I have to think about um, one example is the gangs that we encounter in El Salvador. Um, there's, there's lots of gang members. We have even family members, not real close family, but we know lots of people that are involved with the gangs. And, um, they're very cruel, they will, they will kill without thinking twice, you know, for a couple dollars or, and they will extort and they will rape and they will do all kinds of things. But can we truth, and, and thinking about that, you know, it's not fair, what, how is it? They should get the same treatment that they have given to others. It's very easy for us to think about, it. even, you know, we think about that Jonah was wrong, but it's very easy for us to think about as well. And thinking about Jesus on the cross, you know, Jesus' response when these people were crucifying him Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Especially Stephen. Stephen said, He didn't just say to forgive them, but he said, Don't count this sin against them. He was asking God to pretty much treat, like, just wipe, treat these people like they never did that. Would we be able to do that for someone? To pray to God about someone, especially if they mistreat someone that we know or mistreat us? God, forgive this person and treat him like he never did this. Just completely wipe it from their record. Would we be able to do that like Stephen did? And sometimes I'm not sure I can do that it's very easy to see a story like this and think certain things, but once it happens to us, it's a lot harder. And maybe we can forgive them, but you know, they should at least suffer some consequences for what they did, right? Like they shouldn't be able to go their whole life and then when they're about to die, repent and then, you know, they never have to suffer any consequences for what they do. It's not fair. That shouldn't be allowed to happen. What do you think? There's, we have like two minutes here. What do you think about this story? Or what do you think, what should our reaction be? I mean, we know what we should, you know, we know how we should react. I think Jonah knew how he should react, but it just, it's not fair. That's how we, that's, that, you know, that's often how we react as well. Any thoughts? You need to be careful that we don't have the attitude the way he used to be mm. Yeah, you know, that comes up sometimes when a person reminds and don't accept it mm-hmm. think back in the way he used to be yeah and we heard it earlier tonight too when john was talking mm-hmm. god gave the message jonah repeated it the holy spirit worked in those people's hearts on their sins and they repented mm-hmm. i mean there's a lot of things happen very quickly mm-hmm. when the holy spirit is in that's threefold That's God. Jonah the preacher. And the Holy Spirit at work. Mm -hmm. And even Jonah, that you know, Jonah was you can see here, Jonah was not doing it with the right thing, you know, with the right thoughts or with the right intention, but God still used him. Any other thoughts? I think Jonah had a pride issue too, because in those in that era when a prophet said something his life kind of depended on it becoming that, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden God kind of made a fool out of this old the uh, prophet thrill. That's true, actually. That's a very good point. Jonah spent all this time yelling out that this city was going to be destroyed, and that didn't even happen. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine him, uh, what would he preach uh, You know, when he's saying, God's going to destroy you, but hoping it wouldn't happen. Can you say that again? I'm I'm just saying, I I was thinking, how would that be to give a message to a group of people Mm -hmm. and hope it doesn't happen that way? Mm -hmm. Telling them to repent, hoping they wouldn't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He was uh, he was upset at the success of his preaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but in, in verse four, he just simply goes out and in forty days, Jonah shows show me a return. Mm-hmm. It, it, I guess it's arguable. Did he ask him to repent? Yeah, he might not have. He might have done everything to try to You guys are going to hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. Well, it's been a blessing to study Jonah, and there's been lots of things that people have commented and brought up that I didn't even see. The story is a lot more than what it seems on the surface. It's a lot more than a simple story, but it's been a blessing to study it, and thank you all for your attention, for your comments. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the life of Jonah. Father, it's easy to to read about someone else and think about how they could do things better, but I pray that you would help us, that we could take this story to heart, that we'd be able to truly forgive others, um, even if maybe it's not fair, or we, have, we experience things differently, maybe we do suffer consequences. But I pray that we'd be able to forgive wholeheartedly and, and to be able to, to help others to find you. I pray you bless each one that's here this evening. I pray you would go with us to our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.